Hi everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick. Uh, we are coming to you today from the Juilliard School in New York City. And I am indeed honored to uh, have the opportunity to sit down with uh, one of the great American composers and certainly one of the greatest composers for brass of all time, Mr. Eric E. Wazen. Uh, Eric hails from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, went on to the Eastman School of Music for his bachelor's degree. Got his doctorate here at Juilliard as well as his master's degree. Uh, while he was a student, received numerous awards, prizes, fellowships. Uh, his works uh, have become standards in the repertoire. Uh, they have been performed and recorded and commissioned by the world's greatest musicians, ensembles, and orchestras, including the likes of Joe Alessi, Phil Smith, Chris Gecker, the late great Steve Witzer, Charles Vernon, Koichiro Yamamoto, the Summit Brass Ensemble, the American Brass Quintet, just to name a few. Uh, he's had over 10 CDs released by various ensembles and soloists of, uh, of his music. Uh, he's been a guest artist at well over 100 universities and conservatories, including the Curtis Institute, Eastman School of Music, Peabody Conservatory, Indiana University, University of Texas, Boston Conservatory. Uh, he was the uh, composer in residence with the esteemed Orchestra of St. Luke's here in New York City. Uh, he's been on the faculty here at Juilliard since 1980. And uh, in preparing for this interview, I just I can't tell you what a pleasure it was to review uh, many of Eric's works. And I'll, I'll just, this is a partial list, and I do mean partial, uh, of some of his compositions. Sonata for trumpet, sonata for trombone, concerto for bass trombone, concerto for marimba, sy symphony for percussion, Fantasia for Seven Trumpets, my personal favorite. Uh, Colchester Fantasy, Frostfire, and a Western Fanfare, all for Brass Quintet. Hymn for the Lost and the Living for Wind Ensemble. Ballade, Pastoral, and Dance for Flute, Horn, and Piano. Harmony in Blue for Four Flutes. Uh, concerto for Bassoon and Wind Ensemble. Even a Concerto for Tenor, Saxophone, and Orchestra. And once again, just a partial list. Uh, we are so fortunate to have him here today. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extremely well, busy schedule. thank you. I'm delighted to be here, really delighted. Awesome. Let's jump in and talk about your early uh, memories and your formative years growing up in Cleveland and what attracted you to, uh, to music and, and in particular what uh, piqued your interest in composition. Sure. Well, I uh, grew up on the west side of Cleveland, uh, a suburb of Middleburg Heights. Uh, I, I, that's my roots. I still go back to Cleveland uh, periodically. I have lots and lots of cousins and a few remaining aunts and uncles and so it's always fun for me to go back and uh, uh, I'm still a Cleveland Indians fan even there though I've been go. living in New York City since 1980 <laughs> and one year during my lifetime I'm going to see them win the World Series. You guys were close it. last year. Well, I know. One game away. This is the year. <laughs> so uh, anyway I am very close to my Cleveland roots and um, my parents were not musicians uh, but uh, my dad played the harmonica. Uh, he danced Ukrainian dances. Uh, he, I, I'm uh, second generation, but he was born in, 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 in the United States just right off the boat after his parents uh, uh, got here. So um, I grew up listening to uh, Eastern European folk music, and because he danced those Ukrainian dances, you know, where they go down and kick out their legs <laughs> and all that stuff, the hopak and dances like that. Since I was familiar 
familiar with that, that is still a part of uh, my style. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the harmonies, the rhythms, uh, the feel of Eastern European music, and I still have an uh, affinity for that, you know, among composers or uh, particular pieces by classic uh, uh, Eastern European composers from Stravinsky and Bartok onwards. Um, and uh, my mother was not a musician either, although she played piano a little bit by ear and, and pop songs from her day. And uh, uh, But they did get me this piano when I was uh, a youngster, the baby boomer generation. And a piano teacher moved on our street and we would just march down and take our lessons. And it just stayed with me. And so my whole life I played piano. And uh, now composition started later. I remember uh, liking the idea of uh, 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 playing uh, uh, a certain pieces, you know, trying them out at the piano and uh, um, just just making up things. I remember the first time I discovered that no matter what you play on the black keys, it sounded good. So I spent <laughs> all afternoon pounding on those black keys and I don't think the neighbors were delighted with that. But uh, so I like that idea of, 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 of uh, just creating my own uh, uh, music. But I, I boy, these days, because I teach, one of the things I do is since 1980 has been teaching in the pre-college division here wow. at uh, uh, Juilliard. And we have so many outstanding students that are so advanced, so, so young. And I'm, I'm amazed at that. Um, uh, I wasn't, for me, it really wasn't until I was a uh, junior in uh, high school before I started composing. I was fortunate to have a chorus teacher where I accompanied the chorus on piano, uh, playing cello in the, um, the orchestra, failed violinist here. <laughs> I had played violin from fourth to sixth grade in sixth grade Mr. Ludwig, <laughs> dear Mr. Ludwig, he was my teacher all the way through 12th grade, but uh, in 7th grade he gave us a grade on, on how we were playing on violin, and guess what grade he gave me? D! D. And he was the <laughs> nicest guy in the world, so he must have been just awful. Uh, on violin, so he suggested I switched instruments, switch me to cello. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> he probably knew it was going to be a gift well, to the rest I, of us that you were going to compose Not playing, not playing on violin, you know. <laughs> cello, I felt better. It was just he probably spotted that, you know, that was a better fit for me. Um, but by the time I was junior and senior year, uh, my uh, teachers there at the Mid Park High School um, in Middleburg Heights, uh, they suggested I write a piece. I I, uh, I also played string bass in the mm. the, the the band mm -hmm. so for marching band um couldn't march with it not like woody marching, allen right with the it, cello marching yeah. <laughs> uh, um but uh the band director during marching band season asked if i could arrange uh, some music for uh, them to play, so I did that. My Mr. Ludwig got me to write an orchestra piece. My choir teacher suggested I write a piece for the chorus, and thanks to them, I became a composer, yeah. and didn't start studying uh, privately to my senior year. But I did write these pieces, and uh, on the base of that, I did get accepted at, at Eastman, and I felt like I had a lot to uh, um, make, uh, time-wise, to make up for. So I did a whole study of all the different contemporary pieces, had spectacular teachers at Eastman. So that's how it began. Yeah, awesome. Oh, that's such so great. Uh, 
T tell us a little bit about your teachers. I know Milton Babbitt, Joseph Schwantner, Samuel Adler, Gunther Schuler. You had uh, some really uh, sure. inspiring uh, experiences, I'm sure, working with uh, with all those and and more. I saw as well, but maybe. Uh, what were what were some of the things that you drew from them uh, as right. you were developing your style? Well, one thing that was inspired at Eastman at that time was that we moved from teacher to teacher each year, mm. um, and the realization was that um, contemporary music and composition is such a subjective thing. There's so many different styles, and composers. Many of them, you know, they establish a style. They get known for a particular approach. And so it was nice having different approaches. Mm -hmm. uh, um, their music being distinctive, individual, that alone was inspiring. And, uh, uh, and, and I enjoyed that. And, and I could just say, I mean, I see them all, um, with Schwantner, who was my freshman teacher. He was, he, I had Joseph Schwantner before he became Joseph <laughs> Schwantner. He, he uh, from my freshman year till the senior year, all of a sudden uh, performers around the world were playing his music, the great orchestras, they were all discovering it. But I had him my freshman year when he wasn't quite there yet. Uh -huh. uh, and But the beauty, the spectacular color of his music, um, he, he wanted us to always experiment, to, to, to go in other directions that you wouldn't necessarily go for in writing for a particular in, instrument or in choosing combinations of instrument, his love of percussion. I have right. him to thank for that. Mm. And then I had uh, uh, Warren Benson, who was mm. also wonderful, um, written a lot of wind ensemble music. And mm -hmm. I ended up writing a lot of wind ensemble yes, music. And studying uh, that with him, his uh, um, uh, uh, he would really be strict. He says, well, okay, how come this is a bassoon piece and not a trombone piece? You know, what uh, to be... Uh, to flatter the sounds of the individual instruments. Mm. And, and he was very careful with that. A wonderful man, great teacher. They, they were all great. Uh, um, Sam Adler was, I mean, he was a force of nature and his enthusiasm, um, his love of looking at structure. And he was the type of teacher, uh, we would look at a Haydn string quartet or, or look at some classic pieces and related to 20th century music. And I, specifically, I had the. It was okay that I could name them all. The, these six teachers, the those three, I had a gentleman named uh, Eugene Kurtz, who was uh, filled in for one semester mm. uh, for Adler, uh, and he came. He was in in Paris at the time. Um, had written a very famous piece called "The Last Contrabass in Las Vegas," and I remember <laughs> that that was uh, uh, quite a popular work. Um, uh, uh, it, it was, it, it, and he was also just, you know, giving us other different ideas and approaches. And then um, the other two teachers, when I came to Juilliard, one thing I hadn't had was twelve-tone music, mm. and so I had Milton Babbitt for that. Right. And I spent four years with uh, Milton Babbitt, and even though Babbitt is known for, face it, his contribution to the world of, of serial technique and 12-tone music, 
um, he his favorite composer was Brahms. So that that's right? wow. my favorite composer. <laughs> it's amazing how uh, a teachers influence you. So when you're teachers, you got to be aware of uh, when you're directing students. They really pay attention yeah, sometimes. Really. Not sometimes, you know. Uh, uh, hopefully all the time. But uh, um, but where where the words make such an impact that it really endures and and. With Babbitt, that was the structure, and see, he, his love of structure so much led him down the path of uh, serial technique, mm. and he kind of taught me not to coast, that every moment should be important, that that you know where things lead, how they lead, you know. Sometimes it would be a little bit exaggerated. I mean, he had a wonderful ear. I mean, he might look at. Um, uh, an F sharp in a piece I'm writing on page two, you know, and three pages later, this F sharp appears in the same place in the same register. Look, that F sharp, it's the same, you know. It's like, well, I don't know how many people are really going to hear that, you know. <laughs> so sometimes it might be a little bit exaggerated, but 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 no. But his his love of how it all fit together was just wonderful. And the last teacher was uh, a summer I spent at Tanglewood with a great Gunther Schuller. Mm -hmm. Brass composer, yeah, of no, course. not just brass. Of course, of course everything. <laughs> but as the you know, the French horn player in the Met for twenty-five years again before he became Gunther Schuller with all the great music that he wrote, um, it was it was absolutely fascinating working with mm. him. So, uh, so I owe everything to these teachers, and that's probably why I've become a teacher because it made my life so I, I get a kick out of helping people, you know, in their direction. That's awesome. And I'm sure they're more than pleased that uh, they had Eric Wazen as yeah. a student and, and everything that you've gone oh. on to do. <laughs> what was it like for you? I know, especially New York City uh, can be a daunting place, you know, when you're yeah. starting out, but, uh, and, it, you know, of course you went to school here, but uh, as a graduate student, but what was it like in your early years trying to get established as a composer and, and just some of your memories about what that time was like in your life? Oh, sure. Well, I think for any person in our profession, whether it's a composer or a performer, sometimes you got to have a lot of patience. <laughs> as a composer, uh, some of the best words given to me was Sam Adler, where he says to be flexible, you know. Mm. And it's almost impossible to make a living simply being a classical composer. Yes, there's commissions, you belong to ASCAP or BMI, you know, and you, and you get royalties and, and that, but it's still, you know, living in, you know, a big metropolis like uh, New York, it's hard to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And actually, when you look at the history of composers, a lot of them were doing other things. They were teaching or giving private lessons, and you read about that, about the greats, you know, mm -hmm. um, or they've had money problems, and you read about that, too. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, 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 so uh, uh, composers tend to, a lot of times their music gets famous after they die, <laughs> or the uh, or the performances, the the way the money is generated takes a while. So we're all teaching, we're all uh, involved with uh, arts administration. When I say we're all, we're all doing different types of things. Mm -hmm. Could be teaching, arts mm -hmm. administration, whatever that you do, whatever of other aspect. And one nice thing about being composer is that um, what you're doing to make your uh, uh, living, and I was typing, typing for minimum wage, and mm. I had finished, gotten my doctorate from Juilliard, 
and spent two years typing for minimum wage at the American Music Center, which did not make my parents very happy at that time. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I hung on, and I did a lot of tutoring. Um, I had upwards of 40 contact hours of teaching and work, and this had nothing to do with uh, composing, you know. But I was, I loved New York. I loved the energy here. Um, as a composer, you know, opportunities to hear so many different groups. Nowadays, though, all over the world, mm. you know, you can see performances and hear the latest uh, music. That's why I say I think musicians, I've talked to other teachers too, um, they're better than ever. Composers are more sophisticated than ever. When I was a youngster, you know, to, you hear some, oh, great piece by a composer that is, you know, uh, um, uh, just kind of uh, uh, inspiring you, you know, and um, whoever the composer might be, and, and you go to the library, and I remember the first time I heard Hinesteras music, and, oh, I wanted to hear more, you know, and go to Sibley Library at Eastman, <laughs> and they, they had some, but sometimes the records were out, and you'd have to wait, or there, you know, nowadays, at the in one second, you hear all these performances, all these pieces, a Astonishing! I'm so glad I'm around, you know, to <laughs> yeah, have seen yeah, this, yeah. you know, and um, so that the, it was. So the years after I graduated, it took a long time before I could just earn my living through, in my case, teaching slash composing, hmm. and uh, and that little by little that started to happen more and more, and um, yeah, that's awesome. You know, uh, just shifting gears a little bit. One of the things that I think is so uh, inspiring, I'm, and I'm a huge fan of your music, but aside from that, I, I have I, you have like a signature sound to me. Right. Like I, when I hear a ways in peace, no matter what inst the instruments are, right. uh, you really have a signature sound, which I think is the highest compliment you can give a composer because you, it's it's an amazing thing. You know, just like Aaron Copeland, you know, or Brahms, whatever, whoever you want to pick. Of course, you, you can tell right away. One of the things that I love so much about your music is that it provides, you know, both musically and technically a challenge for the performer. Uh, the integrity and the depth of the music is is incredible, and then but also it has this wonderful accessible quality. It's almost, I, I think, I, to say cinematic. I hope you don't take that the wrong way. It, no, it has this no. beauty, like it just I, it creates images in my mind of of things and. Um, you kind of touched on it early with with your Ukrainian background, but um, is there is that something that you thought about as you were developing your style, or was it something that kind of grew organically? I know, I know there was a quote from Aaron Copeland when he said he was looking for a signature American sound. I can't remember the exact uh -huh. quote, but he said something to the effect that he was going for an American sound, and that's when you listen to. You know, Appalachian yes. Spring or Rodeo, whatever it might happen to be. You know, um, you certainly, certainly get that sense. Anyway, sorry for the long question. No, what is no. there? Is did were you thinking about that consciously? Did it evolve organically? Probably someplace in the middle there. Maybe what what was that right. like in terms of developing that the ways and sound? Right. Well, I I'm, I really appreciate the way you're uh, describing it and the way you're describing it, the way the way it develops. For me, everybody's uh, uh, individual. I, uh, the, I, I go back to my starting, what made me want to be a composer. 
And what made me want to be a composer, now I'm coming to it as a pianist, was playing pieces by Samuel Barber, the piano sonata. And although I was, I was pretty good as a pianist, <laughs> but I never did play the, the whole uh, uh, sonata of Barber's in public. I worked on it all. And, uh, um, but I love that music so much. And I remember the first time hearing it, got me listening to other pieces. And those pieces that you, you know, you wear in the old days, you wore out the record, you know, playing the, the over and over and over again. And the piano concerto, the second movement of Barber's Piano Concerto. And listening to pieces like that. And Copland and Stravinsky and Bartok, you know, a lot of that uh, um, early 20th century music is what I loved. As an American composer, I loved the um, music of Bernstein, you know, and the stuff like the, uh, um, well, you know, West Side Story is, is, in my estimation, one of the greatest musicals ever written. Yeah, and the sure. music was so amazing. And I remember hearing stories how when it was first performed, when it was first played for the back, backers who were going to give money, I think this this is the story that many of them were saying. What? They're going to get a bunch of teenagers on stage singing this <laughs> difficult music? They just didn't think it was possible. And here it turned out to be such a, a masterpiece. Absolutely. And um, music like that, uh, Copeland, Bernstein, Gershwin, um, certain pieces that I wanted to hear over and over again, I wanted to do it myself to, to, to write music that people would... Uh, um, be affected by, and it has to deal with what affects me. Um, yes, I think about the listeners, and I do want to communicate. I, all artists do, um, whatever our style is, but the thing is that there's so many styles to choose from. And the four years with Milton Babbitt, I did serial uh, technique, and you know, you listen to a spectacular performance of, of Pierrot Lunaire, and it's riveting. I was just talking with my student uh, right now about Wozzeck, the mo what makes Wozzeck one of the greatest operas ever written, you know, and moments of it where it's just incredibly difficult, and your uh, average audience wouldn't say that, that that's beautiful music, but it's dramatic music, and for many people, yes, it is beautiful music, but everybody has different ears, you know, mm -hmm. so I can't write only for the audience, you know, it's just kind of for me mm. and, and but uh, it is the composers that that I liked and I am going to mix in the, in my background because everybody and, and I like to bring that out of, of, of students sometimes you know what is the back their background what's the instrument they play what do they like to uh, uh, um, uh, listen to what is their ethnic background you know uh, I have so many stories about this and and uh, um, as I said mine because I, I, I'm only going personally Ukrainian Polish um, I, I those kinds of dances had an energy so sometimes in my last movements I like to put that energy in gets me wanting to uh, move or feel you know a, a sense of excitement and I hope the audience will get that too mm -hmm. so that's where it, it comes from that's yeah. awesome yeah, thank you for sharing that. This is a question I've been dying to ask you. What is your process of composing when you start a piece? I mean, do you think, is it melody-based? Is it harmony-based? And do you, do you map it out in advance form-wise? Are you thinking right. all of those things? And, and feel free to demonstrate on the piano if you felt like it. But what, I'm just curious what your 
not to be too broad about it, but your process of composing when you first start, sit down and say, okay, I, I'm going to write this sonata or this oh, concerto. Sure. How, how do you how do you approach it? Well, it depends if I'm number one if I'm writing a piece that because I kind of done half and half. Uh, is is programmatic, telling a story, describing a scene based on a poem, based on a uh, um, uh, a picture. I've done all of these things, photographs. My piece Shadow Catchers was based on photographs, or is it purely a um, uh, um, uh, 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 purely musical mm -hmm. without uh, necessarily a story? Uh, is it, uh, am I following a certain form a la Brahms, you know, and then this is where the audience makes up their own story. So there's my sonatas, mm -hmm. there's my trios, uh, blood, pastoral, and dance. There's no specific uh, storyline that, that you mentioned before, my flute horn piano piece, although the, the second movement was based on, because uh, I, I, I wrote it during holiday time. And so, well, if you want me to get to the piano, I surely can. Sure. Um, if, um, well, with that, <laughs> I just wanted the sounds of bells. The whole piece began from that. And I played this. <laughs> There's a lot. Remember when I said, no matter what you play on, <laughs> blank notes sound good. Oh, okay. And I'll play that all afternoon. I'll play that forever. Nowadays, living in a New York apartment, of course, I have my electric piano with the headphones, <laughs> so I don't uh, uh, drive neighbors uh, or other people uh, nearby crazy, you know. So I get that sound in my head, and then I do a lot of singing. La -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da. I'm not a singer, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so I'll sing. I'll come up with the ideas. So sometimes a whole piece might come from a chord. Uh, sometimes I want uh, I might want a particular type of energy to the piece. And um, I, I hear that. This. Those perfect fifths, fours, something striking to get the audience's attention mm -hmm. that'll do in a particular piece. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then I just come up with that. I usually think of a feeling mm -hmm. happy, sad, <laughs> exciting. If it's about nature, that's that's nice. I, I do like you know getting inspired by that stuff, but I'll come up with certain ideas. They may be chords, they may be gestures. Um, a lot of my music, um, I've written a, a, quite a bit of uh, fugal music. You mentioned Colchester Fantasy, so there we have a particular piece that was involved with. Uh, um, um, <laughs> named after four pubs, okay, and so the Rose and Crown, oh, that's noble, that's, you know, cinematic, uh -huh. sure, uh -huh. I'm writing for King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, or, or I'm writing a piece, The uh, the Dragoon, okay, that's war, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be something that's, that's, uh, um, uh, more dissonant. And so that's why I think all composers, it's so important to know all styles, tonal, atonal, no, 
at the uh, music that's all about textures, you know, colors, you know. Just learn everything. You'd mm. be dis surprised how you can flavor your music. And there's spots in the music that are indeed very tonal, but when you look at certain spots in my music, oh wow, that's quite chromatic, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't use key signatures because I like the flexibility of moving in and out freely and quickly mm -hmm. uh, from uh, uh, one area to another. I, I remember speaking to a teacher at Indiana University, Bernard Hyden, who, who said that, you know, that he just loves the idea of starting in one key and then the last couple measures being in something totally different. And he, <laughs> what does that mean? Then I got it. You uh. know, just just that sort of flexibility. It's 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 kind of fun. So um, but the big thing is I want to know what feeling mm -hmm. I want to engender mm -hmm. in the listener. The simply that's, thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate those thoughts, and it's so, oh, so sure. cool that it's it's a varied uh, varied emotions, feelings, all these things that, uh, that factor into it. Let's talk a little bit, since most of our viewers are, are brass folks, right. um, let's talk about your, your compositions for brass. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I love the, I mean, I love your sonata for trombone. I, I was listening to uh, Koichiro Yamamoto's uh, yes, recording of it recently. Gorgeous yes. player, and uh, it's just fantastic. Um, your concerto for bass trombone is amazing, but uh, the Fantasia for seven trumpets, I don't think you could make seven trumpets sound more beautiful. Nothing against trumpet players, of course, and we love them, but, uh, but to make a, a non trumpet ensemble sound that beautiful. Anyway, my question is, do you have any favorites of, uh, in terms of the, your compositions for brass? And then the other thing that I was wondering, you know, you have been fortunate to, uh, as a composer, you get to write for the likes of Chris Gecker and Charles Vernon and Joe Lessie and Phil Smith. Do you consider, uh, and I'm sure some of the times it's not these world-class virtuosos, but do you consider the strengths and or, or limitations that an instrumentalist may have when you're composing, or do you kind of mm -hmm. push them, push the envelope a little bit with them? It's kind of a two-part question, but I'll sure. leave it there. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I would say that the, uh, I have been, um, it, it, just so fortunate in being able to work with so many wonderful musicians, but that's kind of been it my whole life, and it's the friendships that you make. And I'm just going to say to uh, um, uh, the the performers uh, who are uh, listening uh, to me chat right now, and I get this from my great friend Chris Gecker, who uh, always says that, oh, he thinks it's so important for performers to find out who the composers are and see if they'll write music for you. So here's Chris, you know, just this absolutely sublime uh, uh, trumpet player, you know, I mean, the sounds he makes is just so beautiful. And he could get by playing the Haydn's and all the great, you know, the repertoire they have. But he's saying, ah, oh, he wants to keep looking at new music. And so he's always encouraging uh, performers to seek out their composer friends. And there's a lot of great composers around. I mean a lot. And, uh, um, and start already, I, I really am going to recommend when your students and uh, to go to uh, um, the, your composition majors that are in your school, you work with them. In my case, I've never played a brass instrument. I own a World War I bugle. <laughs> 
and on this world it hangs on my wall it's all beaten up it looks like something that like woody allen might play you know i mean it's just this 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 uh uh, uh this old artifact once in a while i can play one note on it that's it and uh, never played a wind or or or, or uh uh uh, a brass instrument. I had a very funny experience. Uh, I'm a, a woodwind instrument, working with a very young flute student years ago, seven years old, I remember. And she was uh, writing, like, uh, I was teaching her theory, private mm. theory lessons, but getting her to write a little bit of music. So she came in and she was playing the piece that she had written for flute. And she had written, like, uh, you, you know, uh, something like this, whatever was written mm -hmm. up there, and she's playing it an octave lower, and and I I I don't know how to, the flute plays. <laughs> I mean, I have a rough idea, but but to explain, <laughs> how are you going to go up that octave? So all I said to her, well, think high, <laughs> and you know what? She played it, and it was an octave higher. So I yeah. thought. I, I told, told my friend Bonnie Lecter, who, who at the time who was uh, the a flute teacher in the pre-college, I says, Bonnie, I gave my first flute lesson, you know, think high, you know. All right, so I don't, can't play. Good advice for brass players, too, right? right? Think high. So I can't uh, play the instruments, but what I do is I get together with the players. And this is for all instruments, mm -hmm. you know, each new instrument that I'm working on, um, where I uh, get together with them. Not long ago, I written for uh, organ and uh, um, uh, orchestra uh, um, uh, for uh, Diane Whitry's uh, uh, Allentown Symphony. Uh, I got together, the, 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 the organist was playing on the uh, uh, organ. This was done by Skype, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, showing some things. I want to use that, you know? And so you get inspired. So players, you get together, composers, show them what you can do. Mm. Nothing in the world like having a, a premiere piece that, uh, that's for the performance that you could play on. Uh, whatever, a senior recital, a graduating recital, master's doctorate, throughout your lives, you know, mm -hmm. and it's good, and it's good to foster those friendships. So, uh, now, do I take limitations of instruments or whatever? It's not so much that, because it's, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's ranges, there's, you know, obviously some people are adept at ha having a certain color or a certain facility or whatnot, but there are general limitations to the instrument, and I, I don't like to push it to the very extremes, you mm -hmm. know, like, mm -hmm. um, because I've, boy, I've been down that road where, where, where some people can, can play just this really high note, <laughs> great, you know, <laughs> but in performance, after a long piece, and you play that high note, that ain't always going to be there, you know. <laughs> and so you just learn how to write intelligently for the instrument. That's mm -hmm. where I got from my teacher, um, Warren Benson, flatter the sounds of the instruments and, and Adler, all of them. And uh, um, But they will show me what they like to play. Mm -hmm. And then we read through music or I have them play some classic pieces. And I'll, um, working with trumpets, say the Fantasia, you know, at that time I was, you know, first writing, you know, my, my big pieces for trumpet and uh, um, 
you know, I'd write a movement, and the music I wrote for, 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 for Chris, for example, we would play that, you know. Um, Mike Powell, whom I wrote the, 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 the a tenor trombone uh, sonata for, section by section, we would play through it. But before we did that, we played through, oh, various uh, of the classic uh, um, uh, uh, trombone pieces. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I just loved being able to, to do that. And then it gave the sound in my ear. Mm. So that's what I try to use for any instrument that I write for. That's very cool. Very comprehensive and thoughtful. It's, yeah. uh, it comes through in, in your music so well. Excuse me, but it is fun. That's all I can say. <laughs> the collaboration uh -huh. is fun. Because, by and large, when you're a composer, it's a solitary profession. You're by sure. yourself. You yeah. know, you're just imagining in your head, you know, playing at the piano, getting the computer, you know, after you decide what you want. And, and computer has been a big, you know, lifesaver for us. But, but just so you can hear it back uh, instantaneously, of course, you're hearing the computer play it. Got to be careful with that. The computer can go, <laughs> and the real live performers aren't always going to do that at quarter equals 188 or whatever, you know. Uh, um, uh, uh, but anyway, but, but the thing is that because it's a solitary profession, the moments we can work with the players is what makes it fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And for those of you who, who haven't checked it out, I, I really enjoyed the uh, master class that you and Chris Gecker gave talking uh -huh. about the uh, trumpet sonata worth checking it out on, on YouTube and you guys are obviously work so well together it's like a, oh yeah it's like yeah. a perfect match made in heaven um, this can be actually from the business side but also in terms of your what you're looking for how do commissions work for you nowadays you're obviously you're a star in the in the comp, in the composer world and um, I'm sure you can't take every commission that comes your way, and and, uh, and and I know you mentioned you're finishing up three big works all at the same time. So, yeah. how, I guess I'm asking how you juggle that now, and and what do you look for in terms of what you're interested in projects you might be interested in taking on? Well, by this time, um, I'm in my 60s, um, in my seventh decade. Okay, <laughs> that go that time goes by. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, the the thing is, so I have written a lot, and I like to cycle through things. So having done um, a chamber piece or a vocal piece, then I'll do a brass piece, then I'll do a, mm. a string piece or whatnot. Um, I been delighted you know uh, and, and writing for when I've been writing the brass music specifically or the wind uh, music um, that those are instruments who are really looking for repertoire you know um, you have the um, you know some classic pieces already but not as nearly as much as the violinists or pianists do. So we're part of being a new tradition mm -hmm. and seeing all the variety. And wow, these days I go to the conventions. I, I was at the Big Trombone Convention in, in Redlands this year. Heard so many just really genuinely wonderful new pieces, you know, mm. and it's mm -hmm. it's the new tradition. Mm -hmm. Now, are they famous yet? Well, it takes a while for pieces to get <laughs> famous. Some of my pieces have languished for decades, you know. Mm -hmm. I had a, a, mm -hmm. a big piece uh, I'd written for clarinet and piano, and I had felt good about it, And but I wrote that. This would have been 1986, and it was 
20 years later when I got a, 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 a big orchestra performance of the wow. piece. Wow. And um, it takes a while for this type of thing to happen sometimes. So that's life. Mm -hmm. but, but you don't give up. Now, some pieces make it. And there are, you know, and I have had... Yeah, wonderful performances, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's been exciting. But it, it didn't happen all at once. You know, there was, as I said, years and years of writing the pieces, waiting for the, not waiting for it, because it's up to the composers to, uh, to get their music out there, you know. And again, we have YouTube now and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Uh, um, you know, I mean, I mean, any of the Spotify, whatever, you know, that where you get the, people can hear your, your music and, and uh, uh, that. That's great, but um, with commissions specifically, what you do is you approach, you know, performers should approach the composer that they like. Composers tend to be negotiable, you know. Um, there's a handful of composers where whatever, they're older, they've written a lot for this instrument, that instrument, you know. In my case, because I do like to circle, you know, I, I like Bartok. He, he spread his six uh, uh, string quartets over the span of his whole life. Mm -hmm. Beethoven, same thing. You know, piano pieces early, middle, late. You know, and, and so we need the variety. You know, uh, yes, you do get, and these of course are geniuses where you can have a Bach that writes zoom, 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 few, 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 <laughs> and each one is new and brilliant <laughs> and extraordinary, and you have geniuses like that. Um, you know, however it happens for individual pe people, but you, you really decide on the terms, you know, and to be uh, uh, careful, when I say careful with that, um, just make sure everybody knows that, that the, uh, um, um, that it's going to be performed here, you know, uh, this, this amount of money. Um, there is a certain realization, I mean, it is a lot of work. <laughs> and when you write an orchestral work or, or wind ensemble piece, um, if you're copying out the parts, and these days, of course, we do have the computer, but that still is time consuming. Sure. You know? yeah. And, you know, composers have assistants sometimes that, that are invaluable that help them out with this, you know. But the main thing is to approach composers and uh, get the, uh, you know, the performance happening. Some, mm -hmm. this will be also attached to a recording. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and that's exciting too, mm -hmm. um, uh, where you've written pieces and and, and for certain uh, uh, players that are are um, going to uh, record the music. Mm -hmm. So, but it's it's good to have that happen. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you mentioned, you know, you 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 are a renowned educator, which we all know about as well. You're on faculty here at Juilliard and and in demand all over the world as a, as a guest artist and uh, and giving lectures and whatnot. You've touched on it a little bit. Just you said something that made me think. Like in terms of the composers, it's it's almost obligation. It's too strong of a word, but their responsibility to get their music played. What? How do you? You have many talented students, I'm sure, here at Juilliard. From as uh, in terms of composition, what do they do to get their pieces played? I mean, I know, like you said, YouTube is a wonderful tool. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, of course. You know, we we can get talk about the financial side of all that so it can be yeah. can be a negative but on the other hand it's amazing you know i mean just for me as selfishly to check out all your music over the last month or so it's fantastic just so like it would take me back in my days when i was a kid and going to tower records right. and buying all the records right. forget That's about right. it you know so, but now it's like it's anyway 
My question is, in terms of you being in, giving advice to your students, what what do they need to do to become a composer in addition to what you've already kind of touched on? Are there other things sure. that you guide them to do? Yeah. Uh, number one, <laughs> once they've written the piece, they have performance that they, like, that, they that they enjoy working with, uh, or they play their music so beautifully. Um, you get that recording. The recording. Uh, now, this may say sound just a little bit cynical because, of course, the recording is important in and of itself. But it's also kind of like our business card, card mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that's the way other people can hear it. You mm -hmm. know, because yes, they can look at scores, but you really have to. And I know people with the best ears. You know, I remember sure. years ago William Schumann saying, "Look." You know, and here's you know one of the great composers and, and knowledgeable and certainly you know amazingly gifted. You know, but he says you know he's got to hear the music. You know, looking at the score sometimes doesn't always do it. You can see col spot colors if it's well written. If there's you know what's difficult, whatever you know. But you really, really, really know what it's, it sounds. You get just sort of general ideas. So you'd need that recording, and then um, uh, okay. Recording. I can only go what I personally did. I wasn't getting commissions, wasn't getting paid to write my music for quite a while. And so what I did was a series of my own concerts. If you're attached with the school, that's great. Mm. And, and, and I have a lot of friends that are in different uh, schools or universities. And um, you just, you, you're just, I, I'm going to use the word networking, but you're getting to know the people that are uh, um, in your school. Mm -hmm. You you do your own concerts. I did like eight of those, mm. and didn't necessarily have money to pay the performers, but I'd sure do a nice reception afterwards, you know. <laughs> and they would want to do a new piece, and then I would say, okay, if, if, you know. And then of course I would get uh, uh, commissions. And that would happen, and w with the larger pieces, you know, where where you're writing for orchestra and that. I mean, things like that can take a long time. Yeah. Um, I remember my piece, Shadowcatcher, took 1,000 hours of work to write that piece. Wow. And the only reason I remember that, because I wrote that over a summer uh, of four months of 15 to 20 hour days, and composers are used to that. And that was true even when I was a student. In the old days, Though we had the copy, we'd have copying parties where your <laughs> friends, you know, they'd finish their performance and they're out and they're having a nice beer or whatever, you know. And it's like, okay, well, well, Monday's your reading. Okay, so you copy out violin one, you copy out violin two, I'm working on violin or viola or whatever. And I mean, it was depressing, but that's what it was like. And it's still like that. Isn't it funny, even with the new technology, it right. still takes forever you uh -huh. know it's it's and and um you know uh oh boy this again is going to sound a little depressing but you have to be honest too yeah <laughs> i remember jacob Druckmann and his his wife who was the head of the dance department uh for for a long time here at, Ju at juilliard and uh 
I guess I'm telling tales, but, and Jacob Driver, I mean, her husband's one of the great composers, Pulitzer Prize winner, you know, and she said that, you know, J Jacob would say to me that composing, what is it? It's simply a very expensive hobby, <laughs> you know, because there is, you know, your whatever, you know, that it takes to, to you know, uh, for the final thing, the, the, and the compute, everything that we take to our own websites to, to, uh, um, uh, um, to promote the music, you know, I mean, it has, it's very different than, now here's where performers, for good or for bad, I mean, they're auditioning. You're auditioning for a position in, in an orchestra. You get that position, great. You don't that, get the position, you don't give up, you try again, you try again, you know what I mean? Composing, whatever we're doing to earn a living, we, we're still, we still can be composing, mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. that a lot of times you see composers, you know, where they're, it's nothing to be working, you know, 60-hour weeks, you know, I mean, that more <laughs> uh, uh, it, it takes because it, it's it, it just takes so much to to, to do all of that mm -hmm. so anyway I recommend what my teachers recommended to me you like composing keep composing uh, right oh get involved with and there are organizations um, here in New York there's you know um, various uh, ensembles uh, um, orchestras that where, where students can come and they can hear their pieces um, there's a lot of opportunities American Music Center used to have a, a library I think it is still there um, uh, where the, you can find competitions people know about your music a good thing is to go to these instrumental festivals and all the instrumentals instruments have their festivals trombone mm -hmm. horn uh, um, I've been to the mall <laughs> and in many cases several times uh -huh. and they're so much fun because when you're with composer friends at these festivals it's so cool because a lot of times you're hearing premiere after premiere so you're hearing what's the latest you know for these instruments it's like we're getting we're getting an inside thing on, on on what's going on there but you get to know the you get to know the players you promote your music there you have a performance there or or there's many different ways to to be able to get to these and uh, um, I have that music uh, represented mm -hmm. I'll go I'll have one piece performed on that on on a on a, um, a a particular festival, and I'll go there. I'll stay for the several days. You know, I'll go to other things. People will will, will have heard it. Mm -hmm. I'll give free copies mm -hmm. uh, initially. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You know, you give you know, and people will get to know your music. So, and the as I said, flute convention, three four thousand people go yeah, to that. A basic the percussion 10,000 I think will go to that you know it's in the many hundreds I even went to the hecklephone convention <laughs> here in New York City what's a hecklephone it's halfway in between a, uh, a bassoon and an English horn uh, Wagner commissioned it because and hecklephone you can hear in Salome and, and Hindemith wrote for it you know there's a hecklephone convention <laughs> because the people that are into it really are into it you know and it was here in New York City can you guess how many people came? Thirteen. <laughs> A convention of thirteen people at at Saint uh, Thomas. Uh, um, no, 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 Riverside Cathedral. Oh, okay. And there were uh, and with the audience, you know, expanded to a good thirty people were there at the concert. 
about the 1,000 <laughs> that you see at the trombone concerts. But anyway, um, uh, and the festival consisted of, of one concert and one lecture. <laughs> anyway, so... Well, I got to say, last year, the uh, International Trombone Festival, as you here, know, was here at Juilliard, and I was on the faculty. And Joe uh, Leslie, of course, ran it all, did a, a spectacular job. But I will say, you're at the level now where I was uh, standing inside and people were like, Hey, Erica Wazen's outside. So everybody runs out <laughs> to get to beat you. So oh, you've, you've evolved past the uh, point of, uh, of uh, so that, that was There's very cool. There's one nice thing about getting older, <laughs> you know, just stay, stick around. Thank heavens, you know. <laughs> well, that is really great advice. And I think, I think it carries over to being a performer, too. You know, you just have to look in every opportunity and go right. after it and can stay right. on it. It's really, it's great advice. And thank you for yeah. sharing, you know, your road through that. Mm -hmm. um, Eric, you've been so generous with your time i just got a couple more quick questions that's fine do you yes. have a handful of pieces that you look back on and say up to now and i know there's many to come but uh now and you look at it and say well those are the works that i'm really the most proud of if would you consider singling a few oh, out that you sure. look at as, as my your your masterpieces and, and well, your works that you're, you're most proud of yeah and very specifically in uh the brass world my three uh, uh initial Three. Now there's more uh, brass quintets, but initially um, uh, Colchester Fantasy and uh, um, uh, Frostfire, mm -hmm. which led to Shadowcatcher, and subsequently um, other brass quintets mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, uh, that I've written, you know, for individual individual movements, or uh, um, it's it's just been fun, you know. With that, but those were the first three that got got my got the ball rolling mm -hmm. with my uh, quintets, and then um, and then subsequently that that led to the writing of um, the work Balkanica for a group in Croatia, Acadia written for the uh, uh, the wonderful uh, quintet up in Maine, um, uh, but 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 that was kind of the hallmark for my. Uh, um, uh, chamber music for brass, and then the the solos, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, where I'm really grateful for the uh, um, the trombone sonata and the trumpet sonata. Again, I'll mention uh, Mike Powell and 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 uh, um, Christopher, you know, being the the the, the people that wrote sure. that were interested in that horn with uh, Dave Wakefield writing for horn flute and piano for him is why barely and uh, um, so and then with John Rojack and Ray Mace Ray Mace was was responsible for the uh, um, uh, Fantasia for Seven Trumpets because oh, wow. he got his Thanks, students Ray. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it <laughs> he got his uh, students uh, Dave Krauss with with several of the students at the time who were also just just wonderful Dave who plays in the band they sure. approached me and said would I write this piece for Seven Trumpets and that became that piece and John Rojek uh, who had asked me to write a piece for bass trombone and strings so from those five people who are such great players and who, you know, love the idea of, of, of writing new new pieces. I own my whole uh, a career to I even have in my apartment, I call it my altar to the American Brass Quintet. <laughs> I have the poster where uh, Colchester Fantasy was, was uh, premiered in Aspen, a poster of the town of Colchester, England, 
and a poster of their European premiere in uh, the uh, Conservatory of Santa Cecilia in Rome, you know. So this is my altar to the American <laughs> Brass Quintet. But I can't, oh gosh, I know there's so many, you know, you mentioned Charlie Vernon before and, and yeah. Joel Leslie. I mean, I have such wonderful, Ron Barron, you know, of course. who got me to write a piece for alto trombone. Boy, am I going to apologize to you know, people that <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to go in this direction. It's like, why didn't I mention this before? You know, but, but there's some of the people that really helped me in this brass world to get things started and, and uh, remain friends. And we still perform together. And I'm still writing new pieces. My that's new a, second uh, trumpet sonata uh, uh, for Chris, that's going to be uh, coming up. And, and it's, oh, it's taken a long time because I don't want to repeat my Myself, and mm. yet I don't want to lose my style mm -hmm. so you find ways of making that work you mm -hmm. know what I mean so so it, it just takes sometimes I found that it takes longer for me to write the older that I get um, but uh, uh, but it's still fun it's still fun I still look forward to it you know but there's a little bit more mm, I did that before <laughs> let me go this direction you well know? you've written so much uh, so, incredible music it's I'm yeah. sure uh, there's gonna bound to be a little bit of repetition yeah, in there but uh, yeah. I know I can speak for all of my brass colleagues and we're as grateful as you are to them for uh, what, what they gave you uh, we're e equally grateful as listeners and brass players for what you've uh, given the repertoire because it's yeah. just been uh, it's been a tremendous boost uh, to our our uh, our world and everything, um, Eric. Just in closing, uh, first of all, thank you so much for uh, for this. Um, in the immediate future, you're working on three commissions. Could you share uh, what those yes. what you're working on right now? Okay. What the immediate the future Trump looks like? Sonata, for mm -hmm. um, uh, and a piece for my retiring uh, piano piano teacher at Eastman, Barry Snyder, mm -hmm. and uh, 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 four of us who were his students, piano students, also composers, are writing uh, pieces for his retirement, including uh, um, Dave Heineck, uh, who's at the uh, Crane School of Music, uh, Luke Karchin, um, uh, at New York uh, University, and the fourth person I've forgotten, but <laughs> anyway, but but that's happening. And then the third piece is okay. This is a different one. You know, a lot of times my music is kind of upbeat and, and that, but you mentioned my piece of him for the Lost and the Living, which yeah. of course was about nine eleven. And sometimes music is there to comfort as well. And I'm writing a piece, it's for the, um, it was commissioned by the Southern uh, Connecticut State University for the fifth anniversary of Newtown. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's uh, going to be a concert uh, in memory mm. of the, uh, um, the students that lost their lives there, youngsters. Mm. And uh, some of the people, it's going to be the, their orchestra, but also combined with people from the high school in Newtown, the people in the band, the, some of the students oh, there. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, and yeah. they're going to be joining in. So I'm writing a piece uh, uh, for that oh, uh, event. Okay. And sometimes, as I said, <laughs> I don't want to end on a somber note, but, you know, the fact uh, of our... Um, profession were there as I said to uplift to create excitement and joy and fun and stuff but sometimes we're the mirror on our mm -hmm. times and this is one of those so when they, they first approached me for it 
Uh, I was, well, Him for the Lost and Loving was a little different because I'm a New Yorker. That I was writing a piece for the, the band, uh, um, the United States uh, Air Force Band, purely coincidentally, at that same time when 9-11 hit. Mm. And, call, uh, and the piece was called Flight, celebrating the 100th anniversary of Powered Flight. The commander calls me up. They were going on tour. And within three weeks, they said, they, could I write a, a piece in memoriam, a tribute there? Uh -huh. And that's what I did. That's where that came from. And so with this piece, I want to write a piece that represents the kids, represents the the violence, mm -hmm. but represents memory, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and something to hold on to. That's beautiful. Okay. I, 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 it's a, a perfect way. And Eric, thank you for uh, for everything you've uh, given us. Uh, your work inspires us and uh, keeps us going emotionally and, and, and as musicians. So, uh, and, and thank you again for taking time out. I know you've got a million things to get to, so uh, yeah. thank you so gotta much. Got to finish those pieces. <laughs> Our pleasure. So wonderful thank to be you. with you today. And we all will right. see all of you next time on Bone to Pick.